relationship of holiness and Psalm 51. This episode will basically concentrate on holiness in the book of Romans without any doubt. Any conversation or discussion about holiness must take the book of Romans very seriously. A lot of theologians and scholars see Romans as the zenith of Paul's thought. And they contend that here we find the theology of Paul. Well, to a certain extent, they are right. However, we must say from the beginning that Romans is not a theology textbook at all. Rather, it is theology applied to the circumstances of Paul's readers. I mean, like we always will say, that Paul should be considered as a marketplace theologian. Marketplace in the sense that he applies the word to real people in real life, in real time, and therefore is not an ivory tower theologian who just postulates a lot of theories. This is theology applied to the circumstances of Paul's readers. Now, of course, I understand this does not in any way make the task easier. Encompassing Paul's applied thought in a very short time, like we have in this episode, or even several episodes, is probably not an easy task. But let's make a trial and see what exactly is going on in Romans. Now, where do we start from? Does Paul begin from the situation of humanity to the solution in Christ, or what scholars will call the plight to solution, or, or Christ to the solution to human plight? Well, we want to suggest that Paul's theology actually moves from solution to plight. In other words, the gospel comes first in Paul's thinking. What God has accomplished in Christ. When you read Romans chapter 1, it starts with the gospel of God. And then he goes on to define what that gospel is. And he said the gospel is concerning God's son, Christ Jesus. And of course, in chapter 1, verse 16, it talks about the gospel as the power of God for salvation. And moving on, it says the righteousness of God is being revealed in the gospel. You see, so Paul does not start or begin with a description of things as they are. Instead, it begins with what God has done for humanity in Christ, the gospel. One might ask, why does Paul do this? Well, the answer is probably so simple. It's because Christ permeates every aspect of Paul's thought and action. If you remember the popular passage in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And then I live, and I'll live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So for Paul is an exchanged life. Paul's encounter with the risen Christ makes a difference and all the difference to his worldview. You see, before that encounter on Damascus Road, the proclamation of Jesus of Nazareth as the, as the Christ, as the Messiah, by his Jewish followers seemed to be nothing short of blasphemous or heretical. How can Jesus be the Messiah if he has been crucified? After all, does not his death on the cross mean that he was actually accursed by God? I mean, as is written in the Old Testament, cursed be he that hangs on the tree and therefore was no longer part of the covenant community. But the Damascus Road experience completely changed Paul's worldview. So when you come to Romans, you begin to see Paul talking about the situation of humanity, but it begins with what God has done in Christ. And he talks about the righteousness of God. We will look at this at a later date. But what we want to do is just lay the groundwork and see what is going on in Romans. You see, Paul begins with the situation of humanity. In Romans chapter 1, beginning from verse 18, down to 32, Paul in that section begins to talk and it comes to a conclusion in chapter 3, verse 9, all the way again from 1, 8, 1, 18 rather, to 3, 9, that all are under the power of sin. That section actually runs to 320. So Paul reaches that conclusion by focusing initially upon the Gentile world, the other nations apart from Israel, and then he returns to ethnic Israel in Romans chapter 2. You see, Paul's starting point is very clear. God's good creation, that's where he begins. Now, listen to me carefully. Paul never explains the origin of sin in Romans, but he is quite clear that sinfulness is not the natural state of humanity. Let me repeat. Paul is very clear that sinfulness is not the natural state of humanity. And tragically, as Paul will show in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, things are not in their natural state any longer, and they are not there today. And therefore, God's wrath, God's anger, is being revealed against all ungodliness, against all wickedness, against everything that was evil. You see, ungodliness points us directly to what we term as a wrong relationship with a creator, whereas wickedness will point to wrong relationships with the created order. So there's a problem with humankind's relationship with God and humankind's relationship with one another. So what we find in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, is a perverted and misused natural desire. So what we find there are perverted and misused natural desires that will lead to disintegration and social dysfunction. That is what sin does. But wait a minute, whose mess is this? Paul will say, or what Paul might ask, then we definitely say, it's not God's mess. God didn't create this mess. You see, there is no 
fault. There's no fault in God's design of creation. No, not at all. When God created humanity, he created humanity with desires. So having desires are not wrong. And then Paul will show that God did not abandon his creation. No, instead, God continues to reveal himself in his creation. And Paul argues forcefully, he said, while they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, but they gave themselves to fulfilling natural desires and doing things that are wrong. As a matter of fact, they suppress the truth about God. People fail to respond to the knowledge of God that has already been given. So God allowed humans to assert their independence from him. You could do what you want. You say nothing is as terrible as being abandoned by God and God telling you, well, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But then what happens? They go to suffer the consequences of their choices. And we must always know this, that we can make choices, but we don't get to choose the consequences of our choices. Not at all. People acted against nature, and the inevitable result was chaos, confusion, and problems. People no longer worship God, as they should, and they no longer live in harmony with the rest of creation or with each other. So God's good creation had become chaotic and everything was just catastrophic. Everything was out of sync, out of order. Then you ask yourself, what happened? At the root of this chaos of society in which people live is due to his distorted relationship with God. When relationship with God is twisted, all other relationships are affected. And we can say that today, that when relationship with God is twisted, every other relationship is distorted. You see, there's a vertical relationship with God, there's horizontal relationship with humanity and God's creation. So the chaos we find in the world today, in our world today, is nothing but a result of alienation from God. When we see the problems around us, we look at the problems in the society, we look at the problems in the community, we ask ourselves the question, how did we get to this sorry state? The answer is very simple, is because of alienation from God. So when you go to Romans chapter five, a very important passage, Romans chapter five, you read from verses 12 to 21, you see a passage which is very significant because you see a contrast between what it means to be in Adam and what it means to be in Christ. But in that particular section of Romans, Adam's failure is in view. But do not forget, in the background of this, locking in the shadows of this is the failure of Israel as a people as well. Paul has very clear and definite reasons. Why? Because he said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? Everyone needs redemption. Everyone needs the forgiveness of sins. Everyone needs to be brought to God through the sacrifice of Christ 
on the cross of Calvary. So God's purpose is to redeem all humanity. So how does Paul begin his argument in Romans chapter 5? He begins his argument in Romans chapter 5. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. If you do have a Bible, otherwise just listen to the conversation. And hopefully you are enjoying the argument. Romans chapter 5 from verse 12. There Paul says, Romans 5 from verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So the first thing we see there is the first human, is the one through whom sin gained entry into the world. And all of humanity since then has entered into a world in which sin is already present. And then Paul goes on to argue that death came through sin. So death spread to all. What does that mean? All people die. We see the universal effect of sin which is demonstrated by the universal experience of death. Stated differently, physical death is a sign, is a sign of the fact that we share our condition with all creation. We are all in it together. So sin entered through one person and death came through sin. And third, because all have sinned. Here is the issue. Since Adam, no one escapes the power of sin. Does this mean that all humanity was somehow present in that first sin? Is sin passed down to us from Adam? You see, there we have the problem of Augustine translating that passage as because in translating that passage as in whom all sinned. And we say, no, that passage actually is better translated as because all sinned. Something very like that view is common and it, people talk about it as original sin. No, Paul does not think of sin as a thing. As the great scholar, Lacey K. Barrett suggests, he said, Paul does not think of sin as such a thing which like a heirloom may be handed down from the father to son. Then he continues, sin is a living, active, almost a personal agency, and all sin needed was a means of entry into the race. Once this was found, it did not need to be propagated either by sexual relations or descent or in any other way. It propagated itself, end of quote. So in this passage, we see two groups, one group in Adam and the other group in Christ. The passage is not primarily about individuals. No, not at all. The language is very global in scope. There's no exception. You see, again, humans are not just hapless and helpless pawns in a chess game. Paul thinks that both groups do sin and do die because of sin. So Paul's primary concern in this passage is really about salvation. Listen to this statement. Christ's obedience is greater than the consequences of Adam's disobedience. 
And of course, sin began to reign. People persist in their rebellion against God, but Paul is not thinking about them here. You see, we miss the point if we're thinking that Paul is thinking about individuals here. We, we do miss the point. Paul is thinking about group experience, the shared life of people together. This is what is called corporate solidarity, a shared experience that extends across all humanity and across the ages. So what Paul means then is that corporate solidarity that flows from the righteous obedience of the one righteous person is more than a match for the corporate solidarity that flows from Adam. So what then do we learn that tells us about human condition in this passage? Well, we learn that number one, sin's entrance into the world came after creation. Listen to this. Sin's entrance in the first world comes after creation. So sin is not an inherent part of being human. Let me repeat. Sin is not an inherent part of being human. In other words, human sinfulness is an unnatural rather than a natural state. Sin is not constitutive of our nature. Second, death is a consequence of sin. Death is a consequence of sin. Third, Paul believes that we all share in the human condition. And of course, Paul sees the activity of people that produces in you. It is the activity of people that produces in humanity it's just wages. The wages of sin is death. So Paul goes on in Romans chapter six, talking about the reign of sin and death on the one hand and the reign of God through Christ on the other. And he keeps on saying, submit yourself, yield yourself, surrender yourself, so today, we've set the ground for conversation on holiness based on Romans. We'll pick it up next time, but if you have any questions, be sure to contact me. I will be glad to dialogue with you. The basic thing we've learned today is the fact that sin means a broken relationship with humankind, a vertical relationship with God that has been destroyed, and a vertical relation, an horizontal relationship with others. And what have we learned again? Sin is not natural. It came after creation. What do we learn again? Is that the power of sin is great, the power of sin is less than the power of salvation that Christ provides. Looking forward to